0: Here we go. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. Do you believe that? Yes. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health healing and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair we will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of christ in each of our lives we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven let us pray god we pray lord once again that you would anoint our pastor as he brings forth the word that we'd be ready to receive what you have for us lord we pray your will be done in jesus name amen Praise the name of the Lord. Good to see everybody here tonight. I'm going to go into a little bit of a different kind of a mode tonight. We're going to be doing a little bit more teaching that we are going to be doing preaching. But we're going to be ministering to you what the Lord has laid in my spirit for tonight. It's kind of an odd word. knowing, But yet on the other hand, it's preparing us for what we as a church are fixing to brace right after the first of the year. We'll be talking about it here with just in a few moments. But my text is just one simple verse. Uh, I don't think Zach could mess that up. But I think it's in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where it just simply says, Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. More sermons have probably been preached on that passage of Scripture than any other sermon. i preached hundreds probably myself on that passage of Scripture. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction than I normally, went, or, uh, normally do. But this weekend was kind of an unusual weekend. We got a call from... Arlene Gibbs, and she had a, a granddaughter that was having a baby, and it was she was 26 weeks pregnant, and said, "If something doesn't change, it looks like the baby's going to come." And sure enough, the water broke the, uh, Saturday night, and they had to rush her to Cape to the hospital. And we, uh, me and my wife, got in our car and we drove over there to pray with her. And it's on the way over there, of course, you know, we're trying to be uh, get our minds in the spirit realm in order to pray the prayer of faith. That baby, uh, they were telling them more likely the baby will not live and telling them all kinds of things that if the baby did live and what to expect some of the things they were saying, it will not be a pink, it'll be very white, very clammy, and and the eyes will maybe not be developed and the baby will not have a sound, it won't be able to make any sound because the lungs won't be developed, and on and on and on, they give them these lists of things that will probably happen if this baby is born. The baby was born sometime late last night or early this morning, it's two pounds, it's crying, it's holding its mother, and it's loving on its mother, it's only on about 25% oxygen, and the baby is doing well. Can you give the Lord praise for that? (laughs) Hallelujah. Tim Parks, another member of ours who two weeks ago went into surgery in St. Louis, he had found out that he had a a mass within his colon, and uh, it was a serious mass. It was a big mass, and it was cancer and they were gonna to have to take it out, and he had to have it done in St. Louis. And of course, when St. Louis looked at it, said, yes, we've gotta get this mass out of you. It is cancer, like the test has said, in the different hospital that he came from. So on uh, Monday, two weeks ago, They opened him up and went in to do surgery, and when they closed, they come back out, and when he come to, they said, "Uh, Mr. Parks, we don't understand, but I want you to understand that you had cancer, but we could not find it. We went in, the mass was 100% gone. You are cancer free. We did not have to take any mass out. It was gone before we ever got in there. Can you say amen to that? I want to tell you that's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and among the church upon God's people. How many still believes that the days of miracles are not over? People that believe that the days of miracles are over, they do not know the word of God. I wished I could preach. That's not my sermon tonight. But I want to tell you, I still believe in miracles and I still believe in Pentecost. I still believe in signs and wonders following the believer. I still believe that God confirms his word with signs and wonders. How many believe that? If you're a believer in Pentecost tonight, would you do me a favor? Would you just stand to your feet and give the Lord a shout and tell him you're a believer in Pentecost. Hallelujah, yes. We thank you for what he's done. We thank you for the miracles, Father, over that baby. We thank you for the miracles for Tim Parks, God, tonight. We glorify your holy name. We magnify you. Hallelujah. Sometimes we don't tell the testimonies and we should tell them more often because we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, by the words of our testimony. But tonight, there's not one of us in this building that doesn't want to do our best. I want to be my best. I want to be the best pastor, the best Christian, the best father, the best leader that I can possibly be. And I think it would be safe to say that all of us desire to do great exploits for God. On our way to the hospital, of course, I was sitting there, Lord, give me a scripture. Give me a word. Give me a prophetic uh, uh, word over this baby's life. And when we get there, let there be a sign. Let there be a wonder. We see none of that other than the prayer. We prayed with the prayer. Of faith God had not given me a word or anything but I know there were other people who were praying but there's one thing for sure that God did answer our prayer doesn't matter how he does it there was a miracle that took place here the other night and we all desire to get a deeper understanding of the anointing and how to operate within the supernatural if we don't have that desire we should get that desire because even though most people are curious of the supernatural yet many refrain from ever really stepping out and pursuing it or testing it and a matter of fact, that's because a lot of times there's a fear base to that. I know that sometimes when God has me do things, it's, it's a little frightening because sometimes they can be a little strange. Sometimes they can, you know, put, put you to the test because, you know, God has chosen the foolish things of the world sometimes to confound those things which are, are mighty. And sometimes you just wonder, God, why do you do the things that you do? And why do you have us to do what we do at times? When you go back into the Old Testament, and even in the new, you see some strange things. You see Jesus spitting in the dirt and making clay and sticking it in a man's eye. You see where God had required a prophet to lay on his side for 40 days and on his other side for another many days. You know, there's just all kinds of things that God had people to do in order to bring about supernatural results. And sometimes when you want to operate in the anointing and when you want to operate in the supernatural, there can be a fear base of the unknown. And sometimes you don't want to make a full of yourself. I can remember when God spoke to me right over there and told me to tell this congregation that he was visiting my brother who was in stage 4 brain cancer with no hope. He had already had brain surgery before. There was nothing that they could do. They were sending him home to die. That was the end result. Had the best doctor in the world because he worked for Walmart and was way up in Walmart and they had had the best. And I can remember God telling me to tell this congregation get up and confess what I have told you. And let me tell you that was a hard thing to do but I really believe with all of my heart that as I begin to obey in the spirit of the living God begin to put that on my heart as I confessed it to this congregation something happened and my brother is still cancer free today can you give the Lord praise for that amen <laughs> we want to up. Oh. hallelujah God's wanting to do something in this house tonight we want to an operate, and we all desire or should want to operate in the supernatural. But only about five percent of the church really operate in the true anointing on a regular basis. And them kind of people, some kinds can be strange. Sometimes, you know, they're just odd. They're peculiar. I knew a man that he had more miracles of anybody that I've ever seen in his ministry. In every given service, there were supernatural occurrences that took place. There were signs and wonders, but he himself was kind of an odd man. He was a strange man. And they say that in the body of Christ, when you really statistically put put it down, that only about 5% of the people operate under that kind of an anointing on a regular, continual basis. And they say only about 20% really seek after that. They only about 20% of the body of Christ really desire to look into the moving of the supernatural. Many of us are curious. We want to be recipients of it. When we are in need of healing, we want to be healed. When we are in need of a deliverance, we want to be a deliverance. But sometimes we never seek to be the deliverer or the one that lays the hands upon the person to bring about divine healing. So I want to encourage you here tonight that I believe that God has given me a key for us to be able to begin to learn how to function in the anointing of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. How many is ready to see that? Come on, how many is ready to see that? Amen. We all want to be able to see that. But the real question comes from so many who desire to have such of an anointing. How does one flow in the anointing on a regular, consistent basis? That's the question of all questions. I've asked it for myself. God, you have used me mildly on several different occasions, but God, I desire to be used more. I want to be used more. I want to be more open. I want to be more sensitive. I want to be more yielded. God, what is it that hinders us sometimes of not being able to consistently flow in the anointing of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis? It's one thing to be used in the anointing and to have sporadic spiritual supernatural results than it is to operate in the anointing all the time. I just want the anointing to drip off me. Some people say well that cannot be sustained. I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus everywhere he went he was consistent in his anointing. Come on. Yeah. How many believe that? Jesus went everywhere, healing all the manner of sickness among the people, for God was with him according to the word of the Lord. And I know that there are seasons and times. I understand that. And I know that the anointing's not always a feeling. And I understand the anointing's not always an outward manifestation. But the anointing breaks yokes even on the inside. Can I have an amen? It'll break a yoke over a church. It'll break a hindrance over an individual. It'll set people free. It moves in odd ways. I understand that. But the key is for people to have a genuine desire for a deeper intimacy with the Lord and come to an understanding and knowledge of God's perfect will for their life. In other words if you don't believe it's God's will to use you, you'll never be used. Come on. You cannot operate in something that you have the slightest ounce of doubt in. If there's one thing that God wants to come against in this church is the spirit of indifference and the spirit of unbelief. Because you and I cannot have supernatural results by having a spirit of unbelief or a spirit of indifference upon us. If we are going to have supernatural abundance in the church, we have to have supernatural faith. We have to believe. I said we have to believe. You have to totally be sold out to the belief that it is God's will to have the supernatural results that the anointing is empowering you to perform. Why pray for someone sick if you don't believe God's anointing you to heal the sick? Why try to lay hands on someone to receive the Holy Spirit if you don't believe God's using you to be somebody that will help bring about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in someone's life? Do you really believe that God wants to do great things to your life? If you do, raise your hand and say amen. Okay, then get ready because God is going to show us how to operate in the sweet anointing. God's setting us up. You do know that, don't you? God's getting us ready for something great. One of the great ways of understanding God's will and to enter into a time, to a time of intimacy with God is we need to learn how, and this is going to be hard for you to swallow, we're going to have to learn how to fast. Hello? Hello? Fasting shows a true sincere desire for the thing that you're desiring to come to pass. Fasting has always been linked to people obtaining supernatural results. Fasting has always been the secret to obtaining open doors, miraculous provision, favor, and the tender touch—the tender touch of God's blessing upon your life, miracles, supernatural provision, receiving callings and signs and wonders and such things as that—all has been contributed in Scripture by fasting. Matter of fact, Jesus have said this about the supernatural breakthroughs in people's life. He said it in the book of Matthew, 17, verse 21. He said, Howbeit, this kind only goeth out by much prayer and fasting. It's not going to happen if we don't pray and if we don't fast. Now notice something: those that live in the anointing and have regular supernatural results all have one thing in common, and that is regular habitual times of fasting. When I begin to look at those men in the church of God that I've been hanging around all my life and I see those that I admire those that have supernatural results regularly on the basis they have a regular habitual time set aside where they fast on a regular basis every assignment has a birthplace and when god has placed a dream inside of you that only he can make possible then you need to fast and you need to pray when ministry seems to lose its punch and when you find yourself growing cold and stale and indifferent we all find ourselves in those places and when ministry seems to not only become dry and stale but When a church seems to lose their cutting edge, when the church don't seem to have what it once had, then it's time for the members, it's time for the body to come and have regular time of prayer and fasting. It's a time to regroup. It's a time to understand there's a preparation season for the supernatural. Amen? In order to continually flow and live in the anointing, it will demand that one develops a lifestyle of fasting. Did you hear that word, lifestyle? A lot of times, you know how churches treat fasting? It's an event. We'll do it every January. We're going to be doing it this January. We're going to be going into it. And I'll talk to you about what the Lord's laid on my heart. But all, the, all too often, we'll fast maybe in January, maybe in the middle of the summer, some, a pastor will call a church to fast for a month or so I want to tell you, folks, it's got to quit becoming an event, and it's got to become a way of lifestyle for the believer. Amen? Regular habitual times of fasting will result into a fresh encounter with God. You really want a fresh encounter with God? That takes some time fasting. Prove it. See how hungry you are. Put, shove aside the meal for, for a day or two. Fast a meal and then fast two meals and then fast a day. See what God will do for you. It will unlock heaven's door. It will slam shut the gates of hell and all of those that rise up to oppose you. Fasting has power. The discipline of fasting releases the anointing, the favor, and the blessing of God in the life of a Christian. And when you look into scripture, you'll find that every major biblical character fasted. When you look and see all the different things that people have done and the miracles that follow them, follow their lives, they all have something in common. It says that they fasted. A hunger to fast is a sure sign of a hunger for God. That's what our scripture says. Blessed. If you're going to be blessed, how many wants to be Blessed. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's impossible for you to hunger and thirst and not be blessed. You got to hunger and thirst after God. You know, there are many people that understand that there are a, a, there's an assignment for every church. But there's very few individuals that dare will believe that there's an assignment for us individually from God as well. God does not only have a corporate assignment on my life as pastor, but he's got an individual assignment upon me as a man as an individual, and so does he you. And when we begin to understand that God's desire is to release things into our lives, then we must get into a place of genuine desperation for those things gripping our heart to come to pass. It's tormenting to have a sense of feeling that you know what God wants you to do, but you don't have the ability to be able to perform it. It's miserable. Can I have an amen? It's miserable for me as a pastor sometimes to see what God wants to do, but we're always seem to be right there at the threshold, but we can't jump over onto the other side. I declare unto the palace of praise, we've been at the threshold too long, we're fixing to walk through. I said we're fixing to walk through. We're fixing to go into a place that you and I can't even imagine. I declare that. I decree that as your leader because God has set it in my heart. The key that's going to unlock the door for this body to rise up and let the enemy be scattered and let God arise and perform great and mighty things in our midst. Amen. Until we become desperate enough to push away the plate, the food, and set aside our flesh and fast, we will not get a true, full spiritual results that we desire. How many believe that? The amount one desires so many times often can be seen in the amount of their willing to sacrifice by fasting in order to receive the the, the desired request that they have. What is fasting? Let's answer it. First of all, since there are so many misconceptions about it, I want to clarify what true biblical fasting is and what it is not. First of all, let's look what it is not. First of all, fasting is not merely going without food for a long period of time. That's called dieting. Amen? There are a lot of people that go without food to lose weight. There's nothing wrong with that. And praise God for you. I've tried it. I lose 40, gain 60. Amen? Everybody know what I'm talking about there? I want you to know that there's more about fasting than just not eating. One can even starve themselves and it not be a true biblical fast. Fasting is not something only done by fanatics either. There's some churches that don't even believe in fasting. Fasting's not to be done by mer- religious monks over in a cave somewhere. Mm, that ain't what this is about. The practice of fasting is not limited to ministers or leaders only, but they're also, they are also, fastings is commissioned upon the whole body, the church, the members in particular to fast. It's not just to be an occasion. It's to be a lifestyle. Simply stated, biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose and setting oneself apart to pray. That's what fasting is. When you fast, not only do you need to skip the meal, but it has to be done for a spiritual purpose. And then you need to learn how to pray during that season. Fasting has always been a normal part of a relationship with God. When I was a young minister there for years, we had a segment of men that was with us, and we were winning our factory to the Lord. Several people, families, was giving their heart and life to the Lord on a regular basis. Many of you that are here are as a result of the revival that took place in Gates Rubber Company back in the 1980s and early 90s. And we had literally... um, uh, 100 people or so out of that factory that come and went that gave their life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Give the Lord praise. But there was a group of us that met three days a week. It ended up being three days a week. Started out one day a week. Ended up being three days a week. Then it ended up being five days a week in an old house for an hour of prayer every day. And we fasted every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, one day a week, we fasted. And then there were times that we fasted the whole week. And we had all set aside and we would fast and we would pray. And some of the greatest spiritual results that this church has ever had was birthed in an old, old, run-down two-story house that was about to fall in as men gathered themselves together and they fasted and they prayed. And God then turned around, reward them openly in the congregation, and we grew churches. Not only our church, but the other ministers that was there was a general Baptist minister. He grew his church from absolutely nothing to way up to almost 200 people out in the middle of the country in the middle of nowhere because God honors the power of fasting. Can I have an amen? Fasting's always been a normal part of the relationship with God. Fasting is designed to bring a person into a deeper, more intimate, and powerful relationship with the Lord. That's what it's designed to do. When you eliminate food from your diet for a number of days, I want to tell you what will happen. Your spirit becomes uncluttered by the things of the world, and it causes you to amazingly become more sensitive to the things of God. I want to tell you, when you start going without food, you know what begins to happen? You get a headache. When I go off ding-dongs for a very period of time, I get a headache. Amen. When I go off my Mountain Dews, woo, caffeine headache. And I want to tell you, it's a serious thing, and you got to push past that. Can I have an amen? You know what else will happen? You'll get the cramps. Your hands will cramp up. Your legs will cramp. You'll get what they call Charlie horses. I've never liked the name Charlie because I've had Charlie horses. Everybody know what I'm talking about. In the middle of the night, Jesus, what in the wrong with you? No, oh, I got a Charlie horse. And it's all because you're not taking in salt and you're not taking in all the. But I want to tell you what happens. While that flesh is being denied and while that flesh suffers, there is a resurrection and a rise in that spiritual man like you have never seen and you don't even realize it nor do you detect it at that particular time. And there's a sensitivity that comes. By fasting, by denying food. Your spirit becomes uncluttered by the things of this world and it causes you to amazingly become more sensitive to the things of God. All of a sudden, revelation and inspiration starts coming and all of a sudden, you're flowing in this giftedness of God and you don't even know how it got there. All you know is that you fasted and you prayed and the the, the, the clutter that was in your life, it's gone and God is breathing upon you in a fresh way. As David stated in Psalms 42 verse 7, he said, deep calls into the deep. What's he saying there? Go and study it. David was fasting. His hunger and thirst for God were greater than his natural desire for food. And as a result, he reached a place where he could cry out from the depth of his spirit, to the depths of God, even in the midst of some of the most trying times of his life. And the only way that he could get there was deny himself the food and allow his spirit to become strong so the depth of his spirit could intercede and connect with God. I want to tell you, folks, this thing called fasting is one of the hardest things that you'll do, but it's one of the most rewarding things that you'll do as well. Once you've experienced the presence of God and the countless rewards and blessings that follow, your whole perspective will change when you get into this thing called fasting. Me and uh, Mike Burton and uh, Randy and all of us have been sitting around at lunchtime. We've been talking, and we're all feeling the same thing. We've all been talking, and I, I've kept it to myself. And Randy, if you know anything about Randy, your 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 associate pastor, he don't say a lot. He just listens, and um, he uh, Mike opened up first and he said, you know, I'm feeling the Lord speaking to me. And I said, what's he telling you, Mike? He said, I hate to say this, but he said, I'm feeling like the Lord has wanted me to go into some fasting and some praying. The Lord had been dealing with me personally, not only for me to do it, but to bring the church into a realm of fasting and prayer. And I started smiling. He said, not only that, and then we got to talking and other people began to listen in. And before long, other people said, the Lord's saying the same thing to me. And finally, Randy said, the Lord's been speaking to that, to that for me for a while. And we're all getting this sense of urgency to fast and to pray. Why? Because God's wanting to bring about supernatural results. Are you listening? God's wanting to move in a supernatural way. You will soon realize that fasting is a secret source of power that most of us overlook today. There are many of you here tonight that need a genuine breakthrough in your life and your family and your children. And I want to tell you, during the years that Jesus walked on this earth, he devoted time teaching his disciples the principles of the kingdom of God and the principles always conflicted with those things of the world. And so fasting is a thing that you may have to do in order to break some strongholds over your family's life. And the Beatitudes, how many knows what the Beatitudes is? Matthew chapter six, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes, especially in Matthew six, Jesus provided the pattern by which each of us is to live as a child of God. How many know there's a biblical pattern for you to live by? There's biblical scripture that commands you to live a certain way. That pattern addressed three specific duties of a Christian. There are specific three duties that you and I have to do if we're going to be spiritual. In verse 1 through 4, he starts out by addressing giving. Verse 5 through 8, he starts dressing out uh, addressing us about praying. And then verses 16 through 18, he gives us the principles of fasting. Jesus said, when you give, and then he gives you three verses on that. Then he says, when you pray, he gives you three verses on that. And when you fast, he gives you three verses. He didn't say, if you pray, if you give, if you fast. But he said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. In other words, he's expecting the child of God to do those three principles. He made it clear that fasting, like giving and praying, was a normal part of the Christian's life. But let's be honest. Let's really be truthful here tonight. A lot of our emphasis is put on giving and praying, but rarely do we ever put any emphasis on fasting. How many praise more than they fast? How many gives more than they fast? We're all guilty, aren't we? But yet Jesus equally put them in the same realm. We should give just as much attention on fasting than we do giving and praying. But we really don't do that. It's hard. It's hard work. And if you could just get to the place that fasting becomes a normal way of life for the believer, we would re- re- reap supernatural results. You know Solomon, when writing the book of wisdom for Israel, he made the point that a cord or a rope braided with the three strands is not easily broken. He said that in the book of Ecclesiastics chapter 4 verse 12. He said the rope that's braided in three cords, three strands, is not, equally, uh, is not easily broken. Likewise, when giving, praying, and fasting are practiced together in the life of a believer, it creates a type of a threefold cord that's not easily broken. Something happens. God's forming something in that believer when he puts all three of those into practice. In fact, Jesus took it even further by saying to those that fast, give, and pray, when he got done with the Beatitudes, you know what? The next verse with you, he's not talking about everybody. But he said, those of you that fast, those of you that give, and those of you that pray, nothing shall be impossible for you. We want to take that and apply it to everybody. That's not applied to everybody. It's applied to the people that fasted and prayed and gave. And so you and I got to understand, if we want supernatural encounters with God, then we've got to learn this thing called fasting. Fasting. It's very difficult. You know, the church of today, I believe, is missing the greatest breakthroughs because we're not fasting enough. Now, hang with me. I want to explain some more about fasting. Remember the parable of the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold blessing of return that was spoken to us in Mark? He said how that when you go out and you... um, do certain evangelisms or whatever you sow and seed you you sow crops in the spiritual realm and some reap 30 and some 60, some a hundred. I believe that when we pray you can release the 30-fold return. I believe that when you give and pray, you release the 60-fold blessing. but I believe also that when you have all three giving, praying and fasting, as a part of an everyday normal life, and it becomes a discipline that you begin to operate in, you will have a hundredfold return and release because a three-four code is not easily broken, and it breaks yokes. There's power in the principles of Scripture. If that's the case, then you have to wonder what blessings are being re- not re- what blessings are being held up, what blessings are not being released, what answers to prayer are not getting through, what bondages are not being broken all because. We fail to fast. Matter of fact, another vital point that is seen in Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, I think it's around verse 15 or somewhere like that, is that God delights in giving rewards. And matter of fact, he says when you begin to give and when you begin to pray and when you begin to uh, fast, when you do all three of these principles, he said that God that seeth in secret will ward you openly. And that's all tied. How many wants God to reward us openly with signs, wonders, and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. How many wants to see manifestations of the power of the Holy Ghost? How many wants to see that? He said he would reward you openly if you do those things privately. If you pray, if you give and you fast privately, he said, then I'll reward you openly. That's what he said in that passage of scripture. Oh, I love that. Now, Matthew tells the story of a father who had a demon-possessed son. Now let me say this before I go into this story. Fasting is not earning. Fasting is causing you to believe. Fasting is not you earning the right by your own sacrifice and in order to be able to achieve something, you achieve on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. But the only way that you can appropriate Jesus' sacrifice and the only way that you can really believe it it's to fast deny your flesh to where your spirit can take hold of that which God has already promised. Amen? So fasting has strengthened the inner man to connect with God. Oh, I love that. We'll get into that a little bit more later if I get there. But Matthew tells a story of a father who had a demon-possessed son. We all know the story very well. For years he watched helplessly, this father did, as his son suffered with severe convulsions. We would think that's what we would call it today in today's terms. That boy's got convulsions. As he grew older, the attacks became so severe that the boy would throw himself into the fire. He'd throw himself in the water. He'd try to burn himself up. He'd try to drown himself. A suicidal spirit actually attached himself to this boy and tormented him constantly, according to the word of God. The situation became so threatening that the father began to become helpless, and he tried to find answers for his little boy. Having exhausted every attempt to cure the boy, he begins to take them to the disciples and have the disciples to pray over him. The father's plot seemed to be impossible after that event because we find out that the disciples could not heal him either. How sad. We have a sign on our door saying, Church of God, Pentecostal, believe in the supernatural. When people begin to bring their people here for deliverance and they can't find it, it's a disgrace to the church. Amen. And I'm not saying anything negative about anybody, but I want to tell you something. nobody in Popper Bluff should have to put, their, put somebody in a car and drive to Oklahoma to or Roberts to get healed. They ought to be able to come to the palace of praise. Come on, somebody help me preach. Nobody should have to put their car to go see some hotshot evangelist that's preaching a revival up in the Northeast so that they can be healed. I'm here to tell you that God wants this to be a soul-saving, soul-healing station, and God wants supernatural occurrences to happen on a regular basis at the Palace of Praise. If you believe it, stand to your feet and give God praise. Amen. Come on. Give him praise for that. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. This young man got worse and worse. The disciples could not do anything about it, could not cure him. And all of a sudden, this man hears about Jesus being in the crowd. And then he goes and he takes him to the master and he cried out, Lord, have mercy upon my myself for he's a lunatic. And he's sore vexed. For oftentimes he falls into the fire and oftentimes he falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples. But they could not cure him. Oh, how sad. When the boy was brought to Jesus, the Bible just simply says, Jesus rebuked the devil. The devil parted out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Bam. But chapter 10, verse 1, records that Jesus had already given the disciples power to cast out that evil spirit. And he even gave them power to heal every disease among the people. Notice that. That's just a few chapters right there where this took place. So, why couldn't the disciples cast out the demon and cure him? Jesus had already empowered them to do so. It had nothing to do with the will of God because it was the will of God to heal him. How many know that? You know why I know that? Because Jesus healed him. So, it was not that it wasn't the will of God for the boy to be healed. That's why the disciples couldn't cast That ain't the reason. Jesus already empowered them, already instructed them. I give you power over demons. I give you power over sickness. I give you power over disease. And they went out rejoicing because they were having some results. But when it come to this boy, they could not cast him out. Why? They had the anointing. They had the power. It was the will of God to do it. They had the ability. The disciples finally asked Jesus, Why is it that we had results around the city, but we couldn't do anything about this boy? Jesus replied, if you have faith, as a grain of a mustard seed, and you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. How be it? This kind goeth out by much prayer and fasting. He said, the only way that's going to come out is, guys, you learn how to pray Fast. Many things are not accomplished simply because we not fast. Fasting empowers that which we have already been ordained to do. Did you hear that? Fasting empowers that which we've already been ordained to do. It isn't that fasting empowers you to do it. It's the, God's done ordained you to do it. Fasting gives you the ability to believe that you can do it. Amen? Fasting does not change God's mind. It isn't like, oh, God, look, look, now look at all the sacrifice I done. Because of my sacrifice, would you please change your mind and heal Susie? And God's saying, it's always been my will to heal Susie. Your fasting is not moving me to heal. It's my will to heal. Your fasting is moving flesh out of your way that you can be an open, submissive, yielded channel that I can flow through to use you to bring healing to Susie. Can I have an Amen. Fasting does not change God's mind, but fasting empowers God's will in our life. Fasting does not cause us to earn it. It causes us to believe in it. Amen? It's a matter of faith believing. And fasting negates the flesh, and it empowers the spirit. Jesus cast out the devil because Jesus had been fasting. Jesus just come off a 40-day fast in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And you know what it says? He went in being led by the Spirit, but when he came out, he came out in the power of the Spirit. Isn't that powerful? Jesus was led in there by the Spirit. Matter of fact, Mark says it a different way. I want to show you how weak Jesus was getting in the flesh because Mark uses a different word than most of the other writers. He says, and the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. How many of you have ever been driven by something? In other words, you're kicking I don't want to go. You're fighting, but the force driving you is stronger than you. Amen? Like Ezekiel said, the Spirit of God lifted me up. I went in the heat of my spirit, but nevertheless, I went. He didn't want to go, but the Spirit of God put enough pressure on him to cause him to go. There's been times that I've got calls in the middle of the night, didn't want to go, and the Spirit of God would fight against me, and convict me to the point that I'd have to get up and go. I've told you the story where a woman called me at 2 o'clock in the morning and wanted me to pray for a cat, which I hate. They're messy. They get all over your car. I always used to say, and people said, you can't say that in today's anymore. But So I'm saying it like I used to when I was a kid. Okay. I said the only good cat is a dead cat. Some of you are laughing and saying, I agree with you. All of my kids are allergic to cats. A cat get around and boom, all of a sudden they can't breathe, and you know, and got all kinds of they walk all over your car, they scratch doors, they rub up against you, and oh, get away from me, cat. Amen. And this woman calls me at two o'clock in the morning and she wakes me up and she says, Pastor Miller, would you pray for my cat? And I thought, What's wrong with your cat? It's sick, it's about to die. And I said, Well, I can come over and finish him off. That's what I was thinking. I was in dead sleep. Folks, I'm human. I did not enjoy that call at 2, I think it was 2.38 to be exact. But nevertheless, that woman was a saint of God whom I love. And because God loved her, and God's concerned about what she's concerned about, I felt pressure to roll out of bed at 2.38 in the middle of the night when it's cold, get on my knees and pray for a cat. Amen. I've done that. And I hate to give this report, the Lord healed the cat. Amen. Amen. Laugh on, buddy. Supernatural things can cause you to do supernatural things that's uh, contrary to your own human nature. Amen? But here we are in the 21st century, and if God cares about a woman's cat, how much more does he care about the things that you are cared about that's greater than, than an animal? Your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your friends, your neighbors. If God wants to heal a cat, how much more does he want? How many of you would really believe God would heal a cat? I want to tell you, when I prayed, I really believed that God was going to just simply to teach me a lesson and because of the nature of the way He dealt with me. And here we are, right here at 21st Century Church in the modern day church in America. There are signs and wonders all over the Muslim countries. More people are being saved in Iraq right now than any other nation in the world. And those that are getting saved, many of them are getting their heads cut off, tortured. And, and and yet, they don't care. They're getting in their life. That's how powerful. They're seeing visions and dreams of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not God's desire for Iraq and Iran and all of those different kinds of places to have those kinds of moves while America remains idle and America doesn't receive them. I want us to understand God's bringing us into a time of us really preparing ourselves through prayer, giving, and fasting. And when we do all three, the three-chord span that's not easily broken, God's going to reward us openly with supernatural results. Are you ready to help me? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I could preach hours on this. woo